Hi, everyone. Quick plug before we get started. As many of you probably already know who listen to this podcast, we've launched an app. It's called Vivio. It tracks your sleep, nutrition, exercise, and mindset and gives you individualized recommendations on a daily basis on how to get healthier, to improve your well-being, and to perform to your potentials. If you want to check it out, visit vivio.com, V-I-I-V-I-O.com. Thanks so much. Let's dive into this episode. Welcome back. Great to be with you for another episode. And after last week's deep dive into burnout, what I want to do this week is to swing to the other end of the spectrum and talk about mental fitness. And to that end, I wanted to chat to my friend, Mark Champagne. Mark describes his work as being a mental fitness strategist. And mental fitness is the term that he uses to best describe the combination of two core drivers in his life to teach, guide, and illuminate a unique method of thinking through asking the right questions and to distill, organize, and simplify complex situations and solutions. So really, he's an expert at the intersection between mental fitness and strategic thinking. After a decade of working on corporate teams and sales analytics and project management, he left to study the minds of elite thinkers. He studies the mental fitness practices and reflective questions that shaped the lives of some of the most successful and brilliant thinkers in the world. He hosts the top 50 ranked podcast Behind the Human and co-founded the journaling app KYO, which reached 87 million people. He studied the mental fitness practices for over a decade and consults with Fortune 500 companies as a mental fitness strategist and speaker. And in today's podcast, we talk about Asking good questions. Are they the right ones? Are these the best questions given the situation? And are we asking enough of them? And I think that there's some significant insights to be gained here because when we ask the right questions, you end up having the right thoughts, which then leads you to the right strategies. When we're not asking the right questions, we're asking, or even worse, not asking questions, that's when we get into trouble. So I think this is Super insightful, highly pragmatic, and I know that you're going to enjoy this conversation. So without any further delays, please enjoy my chat all about asking the right questions with Mark Champagne. Hey, Mark, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Can't wait. So really happy we could finally get this done. Sorry, I, I <laughs> my airplane routine last week was a bit bizarre getting back into the whole travel routine and like COVID <laughs> tests in and out of countries. And it, it was a bit of a a train wreck. So I appreciate your patience in making this actually happen. Really excited to have you uh, on the show to share your ideas, especially around the new book. But perhaps for the people that haven't met you before, what is your background? Like, give us a, how did you get to where you are today? What's the what's the origin story? Sure. Well, thank you. Um, it's a bit of a windy path. I mean, like like most, obviously. But it, the, where it, where it all began was essentially about an eight or nine year career in the corporate world, in healthcare, in the healthcare space. I was in the pharmaceutical world, starting in sales, then analytics, and then uh, eventually got to the area where I was, I was trying to get to from, from an education standpoint, which was product management and brand management. And, you know, working with, working and leading teams on these, these massive brands. While I was doing that, though, I always had this morning practice set up, or I should, I shouldn't say always. I mean, essentially when I was hired in sales, cause I'll never forget, you know, at that time people were hired in these big batches, 
you know, and it's funny because that, that used to be the thing. I feel like it, that just doesn't happen anymore <laughs> in most companies. So we were all, I was in, uh, in Ontario, Canada at that point. We we're all uh, flown out to Montreal and essentially lived at, you know, in, in, in not at the office, but we're, we're doing training at the office for about four weeks straight. I remember at that point thinking, okay, we're all going through the same training, you know, for the most part. How can I, especially being in sales, like how can I possibly stand out from this pack if we're, we're just all going to do the same thing? And then that's, I, I don't know why that came to me, but I'm, I'm so grateful for that more, moment because, you know, essentially 15 years later, it's because of that, that I'm in any of this, this work. Because I started reading positive things in the morning. And then that led to, okay, I, at that time was Success Magazine was the one that was, uh, was out. And then I, you know, I'd see stuff by Robin Sharma and Tony Robbins and all these, you know, some of the usual su suspects that you, that we, uh, that we read their books and, and follow their work now. And what came to be very apparent was that all of these people and most of the people being interviewed had some sort of reflective practice. And for me, what was resonating was uh, what it was called essentially was journaling, but I didn't really see it as that. I saw it as, okay, these people are asking really powerful questions throughout their lives. How do those questions relate to where I'm at in my life? And I just kept doing that for a good solid eight years. And then other practices came up and, you know, you start being exposed to things like breath work and meditation and, and, and all of that. Well, that whole industry really started to, to land mainstream. And what eventually happened, you know, relating back essentially to your, your travel experience, uh, I was traveling a lot too. So I was, you know, on airplanes often enough, and I didn't want to carry around this extra notepad essentially or notebook. So I was always doing this reflection either on my phone or on an iPad and eventually grew really frustrated with the digital solutions that were available to uh, essentially support a, a journaling practice. And at the same time, the meditation apps were starting to take off, Calm and Headspace were, were really starting to hit the mainstream. So there was this reflection of, okay, it seems like people are open to being guided digitally in the wellness space. Like it was all still very new, right? And at that time, again, there was nothing that existed for guiding people into some sort of a journaling practice to help their performance or help process the day and, and just regular life events. So I set out to, to create that. And I linked up with my brother-in-law and co-founder, and we created this app called Keo, which was one of the first digital journals out there. Uh, we reached a tremendous amount of people with the app. I think that's actually roughly around the time when you and I first met. I was shutting it down, unfortunately, but <laughs> but you know we could get into that. But essentially, you know, there was there was incredible interest. I mean, eighty six point nine million people interest. That that, that those were the the, the number of uh, app store impressions that we had. And uh, unfortunately, you know, the business model didn't work, and there were some other things that that didn't pan out. Um, so I had to shut it down, but that kept me or opened me up into this world of mental fitness, which is what I'm super passionate about. And specifically going right back to a decade ago, the questions that really have the power to, to, to help us pause and unlock a new path, essentially. Super interesting journey. Uh, it's amazing the number of people that have been on the show that have had these significant changes in their careers. It's not linear at, at all yeah. for hardly anybody even though you kind of think it should be, it very rarely is, especially when you're at the limits of, try of, you know, of success, which is kind of fun. 
I'm super curious about the idea of reflection and asking the right questions or asking questions, period. Yeah. So what did you discover around that? And how do we ask good questions? Because you're right, when you look, when you dig into it, so much of the call it personal improvement space, the people who are good at that, the people who are successful, and I mean successful in terms of like actually making progress in improving themselves and getting better and getting healthier and getting fitter and getting mentally happier and, you know, more resilient. Often that does come from asking the right question at the right time, but asking the right questions is hard. And we don't get taught how to do that. It's an important skill to develop. So I'm curious about any and all of your thoughts on that. Of course. I mean, well, so we, we start, I mean, you being a, a dad as well, we, we know our kids start with, you know, a tremendous amount of questions. And then as they get older and same with us, as we get older, we ask fewer and fewer questions until we hit this massive inflection point, essentially, like what you're describing or walls hit or the, the, the path is curved. Um, and then we start asking questions again. But, you know, we, we don't necessarily have to wait for the giant traumatic event to, to start asking good questions. And for me, uh, the definition of a good question is a well-timed question in our lives, right? Because we're all asking them. You know, I, I remember when, when I had to delete the app, it wasn't just deleting the app. It was deleting essentially my identity for the last three years. It was the vehicle that, that was keeping me into... Uh, this space essentially. And at that time too, I didn't want to go back to the past industry because I'm like, this is where it should be, but I just deleted this app essentially. So I was, I was being put into this really dark place, you know, essentially entering into a depression until finally getting to the question of what do I want for my life? And that paused the narrative long enough. So I think when it comes to these questions, what I've noticed, whether it's billionaires, whether it's top performing executives or elite athletes, they're asking more questions to pause the autopilot. Because we're, if we, if we don't, and the easiest place to look is health, right? I mean, if you just walk into a grocery store or just follow the the regular path, I mean, we're not going to be healthy. There's a reason why the majority of the population is is not metabolically fit, right? Because it's just, the, unfortunately, the, the world and, and our food is just not set up to do that. So we have to pause and, and pull out of that and ask some questions. Okay, is this, is, is this fueling disease or is this fueling my health, for example? Simple question, right? We know what, what does and what doesn't. So it's no different, right, when it comes to business or our personal lives. I mean... A great one that, that sticks to mind all the time is, is one I, I picked up from James Clear, who uh, writes a lot about habit formation and systems to, to support our habits. But just understanding, am I climbing the right mountain? And am I optimizing for the person that I want to become? Or it, are my habits and things I'm doing, the work I'm doing, is it sending me completely the other direction? And it's hard to, it's hard to understand that if we don't pause and try to bring some clarity first, right? It's a, that's an interesting one, right? Am I on the right mountain? Yeah, because it can feel, right? <laughs> that a, that doesn't really mean we're not busy, Greg. Ask. Right? Yeah, totally. Because we, we can totally we can totally negotiate ourselves and, and, and mentally negotiate and say, yeah, I mean, I was super busy today. I, I sent out all these messages. I did this. I did that. But if it's not where you're really wanting to head, then you're just busy. And then unfortunately, at one point, it'll probably become clear. But I mean, I'd rather help as many people as possible to, to, you know, shorten that gap. And we can do that through questions. That's super cool. 
I, I love that. I'm just already sort of in the back of my mind going, I wonder if I am on the right mountain. And <laughs> sometimes I know I am and other times I know I'm not. And even if I am on the mountain, am I on the right path on that mountain? Do I have the right equipment on that mountain? Am I, am I with the right team Yeah, on that mountain? Like there's all sorts of things that you can, I can see how you could begin to, through a process, break down what it is that you're doing to ensure that you are doing the best that you could do. Correct. But this is where, I mean, and again, it, it sounds daunting, obviously, but there are, are tools to help with that, right? For me, reflection and journaling is one thing, but there are so many different mental fitness practices, just like, I know you're a climber. So, I mean, it's just like showing up to the, uh, the rock face with the proper ropes and the proper carabiners. Or, I'm not a climber, so I don't know all the terms, but, you know, showing up with the right equipment versus, you know, not and the consequences of that for example, right? Either you're going to die or you're, <laughs> yeah, or it's going to be a, a really hard path. <laughs> I'm curious about Pablo Picasso's question and what is my art reflecting? And the reason why I bring that one up, and I know that this is part of your book yeah. that you that we'll talk about in a little bit, but the reason why I bring this up is because there's superficial questions that you can ask. And then as soon as you begin to dig deeper then you start to actually uncover what what the real answer is. So let's just say, is this good for me? Food. Yeah. You may have yet the answer is yes or no. If the answer is, well, no, it's not good for you, but you eat it anyway, then the question needs to be, why am I eating that? Why did I make that decision? Why did I even buy that thing? Why is it in my house? It's once you start unpacking the question and then getting deeper and asking the right questions, not the superficial questions, but the deeper questions that I believe that the power of your question becomes unlocked. The insights get developed. The better decision-making begins to occur. So I'm curious about Pablo Picasso's question because that's along those same same lines, I think. Totally. Yeah, I don't know. It, it absolutely, absolutely is. And it, it's why, I mean, I won't give uh, much more away, but it's why the book is called Personal Socrates because, you know, it's the my philosophy, and, and obviously I'm not inventing this, been around for literally 469 B.C., you know, is is centered or or the backbone is one big question followed by the next question and unpacking, right? Essentially to, you know, get more clear and get past the surface to the core of what you're you're trying to get at. And like you said, this this applies to everything, everything in life, right? Like why, you know, if you want to move somewhere, you know, well, why do you want to move there? Like what is it that 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 is important for you moving to that location and just really under getting clear? Because then ultimately, you know, maybe you don't want to move to that city or that that place. You know, maybe it's the, the wrong reason. But if we slow down enough to unpack that, then we can, you know, again, get clear and then become intentional with our decisions. Then that's when opportunity uh, expands. So for Picasso, that was a fun one because that, you know, that's one profile. Obviously, I, you know, I didn't have the opportunity to, to interview him, which would have been uh, fantastic. So he was one of the profiles where I had to do the research and, and then really unpack his life and world from the angle of, okay, you know, if, if, if we were all the Picassos of our, of our life, you know, what, what kind of questions would he be asking or what can we learn from his journey and the way he was, you know, a master at his craft and the way he was thinking and then flip that and apply that to our, our lives. And this was one of the profiles I was literally going through the practices live while writing, you know, while writing the profile. I love those ones because they're, they're 
they're very real, right? You know, as I'm doing the research, I'm like, wow, that's fascinating. Like how he, he, how his, how his, his work uh, essentially unfolded. And there's a, there's a big connection point to how we view our lives. And it's this, so his question is, you know, what is my art reflecting or what is my art reflecting back? And it, it doesn't necessarily have to do, uh, I mean, it's grounded obviously in his, in his uh, paintings and whatnot, but really the underlying theme there has nothing to do with whether you're an artist or not. It has everything to do with acknowledging that Picasso as seen as this, this, you know, marvelous painter had all of these different phases to his work. You know, and he's got famous paintings in his blue face, for example, which is like the old guitarist, you know, something that's in museums all around the world. Then there was the rose phase, which is a ton of other different paintings. And then there are other phases within uh, within his work. And there was always something going on. Like the blue phase, he had lost his best friend to suicide. So all of his work, you could feel, you know, the, the subjects were kind of looking down. They looked a bit depressed, like that was reflecting his life at that time and then he met i don't know if it was i think it was his wife eventually he met he met a girl essentially and all of a sudden the paintings flipped into the rose face you know those type of colors so what i write about in the profile that or what struck me and what i'm what i'm just what i was describing to you greg about just like going through this process uh, for myself was well what phase or what color am i in right now in my life and what phases have i gone through because if you look at his body of work, it's not just one phase of his work that made up his his legendary status. It's the whole body of work. And our lives are no different. You know, I was at one point probably in that sales uh, position, very, you know, I describe myself in like the, the, the reds color, you know, really like going at it, doing this, doing that. And uh, there's an example in that profile of when I was in the pharmaceutical world, I was in Barcelona for a conference and I stopped in the Picasso Museum. And I remember, but the objective was I need to get through this. I need to see everything, you know, and just get it and consume it versus when I was writing this and it was right. Everything was shut down at the, you know, with COVID and whatnot when I was writing this, but that same museum had virtual tours and I went back and it was a completely different experience because my, I shifted, I've shifted colors over the last decade, essentially to, I don't care about everything that's in there. I want to experience even just like one piece of his art. Right. So it's things like this. And I'm only coming to that from pausing and slowing down and really taking in just like he was painting his art. And you would see there are multiple canvases behind it. The old guitarist has other you know, pieces of work behind that canvas, but just slowly chipping away and, and, and asking the questions. Right. Then all of a sudden we become clear on like where we came from, but also, well, what's the next piece of art that we want to paint? All right, or what's the next chapter of our lives? What next color phase are we entering into and being intentional about that? That's super cool. So many interesting questions there, right? Like what phase are you in right now? What's the color of your life at the moment? Yeah, it's super fascinating. I, I've said this before on the podcast, so the listeners will probably remember this, but the only thing I got an A in my undergrad was art history. So okay, fascinated. I took kinesiology, but I loved art history. Yeah. Um, funny. Yeah. Anyway, so I don't know why that resonated so much, but I, I love when you think about it, it just sparks my brain a little bit. I want to talk about living intentionally. And there's two questions that you've highlighted, one from Stephen Hawking, one from Rosa Parks. And the reason why I'm going to highlight these is because to some extent, I feel like we're in a little bit of a post-truth society where facts <laughs> are may or, may or may not be taken as the truth. And 
emotions may or may not are, are often taken as the, as the truth rather than research and facts. So when Stephen Hawking poses the question, why do I think I know better? That's a really interesting question to ask. How do you know that you're correct? How do you think that, why do you think that you know better than anyone else? And this is a really interesting question for me to ask myself as a scientist, as a researcher, what makes me think I know better about a lot of things and sticking to my my own lane. And then Rosa Parks questions about as I, am I standing up or sitting down really means like, what do you stand for? What are you going yeah. to believe in? Which can help you to understand what you know better and maybe even what you don't know, acknowledging what you don't know better and not getting caught up in that. That's the balance that we're all trying to understand at the moment. And so I would just love your, uh, your impressions or thoughts about, you know, why do I think I know better? Am I standing up or am I sitting down? What am I standing for these days? I think those are yeah. super interesting questions as well. Well, they, they, they do tie together in, uh, in, in a way, right? Um, I mean, when I think of Stephen Hawking, he's just, that, that was such a fun one to do the research for because, you know, any, essentially any, anyone in that field in terms of astrology or as, as a astrophysicist, I mean, if you, if you stay stuck completely on your viewpoint, I mean, the, that, that science would never evolve. Right. And, and I really firmly, I mean, I can't prove this obviously scientifically, but I really do think that Stephen Hawking's curiosity and his, his just unwavering mindset around asking questions and continuing to fuel his mind kept him alive when he was diagnosed with a disease that at that time had a survival rate of three to four years. I mean, he lived... I think he was diagnosed in his early 20s and he lived until 76 or 78 or something like that in the 70s. And his mindset, I mean, there are quotes. I'd love to pull one up. I, there was one that were, were just about, I had to stop writing when I, when I saw it because he said something about the idea of being lucky to, to, to have uh, received or to have that disease because in a way it sparked more curiosity for him, right? Like he had to continue to ask questions and, and fuel his mind because he was losing the ability to control his, his physical body. And I just remember, wow, like the words, like, I mean, if we could all develop that, you know, harness that mindset, I mean, we would do so much, right? So, I mean, I think it's just a good for him. Like, it's just a good, his profile is really around, again, just pausing and being open to other questions, other perspectives, and really challenging what's already been presented in front of us, right? You know, he challenged, essentially, he, he, he challenged black holes, right? I mean, if he had he not done that, we wouldn't be going down that route of science, for example. So, I mean, the, the final thought in that profile, something to the effect of, you know, questioning the truth reveals the, that there's always more to discover, and I think especially even, you know, now in the, in the times that we're living, like just asking questions is not a bad thing, mm -hmm. right? It always leads to, I, I don't care what side of, of whether it's a, a pandemic or politics or business, but question, asking questions is not a bad thing. It, it leads to, again, to this discovery and it usually pushes us forward and gives us the information we need to feel good about the decisions we're making, right? So Stephen Hawking was, I mean, again, just someone that, He's he's a good reminder of if we're looking, you know, if we're if we're looking down and uh, a little bit sad about something that may have happened or so forth. I mean, to look up, look up at the stars like Stephen Hawking would when at the end of his life, all he could do was twitch his cheek muscle, essentially communicate. Yet he's still cracking jokes and super excited about the work he's doing. 
so that's that one. And then Rosa Parks, obviously, you know, a lot of people know of her her story and and the, you know the the question: Am I standing or, or sitting down? And basically, the the profiles, like you said, all about you know really thinking about the things that you're standing for. But ironically, you know, she made the change by actually not standing and staying seated in a bus, which ended uh, which which sparked the um, uh, the Alabama boycott for public transportation and essentially ended segregation in that time, right from a, from a Supreme Court level. So again, it's just we often fall on the on on the treadmill or the autopilot right and if we, we don't slow down to think about okay well what is like what really matters to me right personally professionally spiritually like relationships everything we just get caught up and we keep going through the motions and we continue doing you know the regular work but there's 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 are things that we're all super passionate and lit up about if we slow down and think about them carrying a lot on with this idea of what we're passionate and lit up by when you are passionate, when you are lit up by something, when you're fired up about an idea, a project, uh, an objective, whatever it happens to be, you tend to work really, really hard, or I do anyway, really, really hard at that particular accomplishment, whatever that is. And you have some information from Apollo Ono, one of the top speed skaters in history, one of the top winter Olympians in history about outworking your opponents. And I would love you to dig into that one because that to me is absolutely fascinating because I think about it a lot. I am trying to outwork a lot, you know, a number of people in the field that I'm, I'm playing in at the moment just because I enjoy doing it. Uh, yeah. you know, I like, yeah. I like going hard and fast and, you know, like just trying to push the limits of what, what is possible. So yeah, curious about what you learned from him. Well, the, the main thought or the main observation or, or I guess he could say the final thought in that profile is around, you know, outworking your competitors starts with outworking yourself. And, and Apollo Whoa. was, do the, <laughs> that's cool. Talk to me about that. That is a wild idea. Yeah. I mean, cause at the end of the day, I mean, we're, we're, we're our, our harshest critic, right? I mean, we can, we can set all these objectives and he can set these objectives to be number one in the world and outwork his competitors. But ultimately the bar is set by himself and, and, and set in his own training. And it's, it's him showing up day in and day out to put in the best effort. I remember he shared a story about his meditation. He shared a story about his physical activity as well as his weight training and, and just being so intentional with the meditation that he he was on a plane at one point and just he was meditating and visualizing one of his I guess upcoming races and he told me he's like I can meditate to the level where beads of sweat would run down my face it's like I could feel it right and and then and then same thing when he'd go into the gym at one point when his trainer had had told him said okay no music today no podcast nothing in your ears you're going in with full present focus on the task on on your exercise and being completely like I want you to visualize if you're doing a bicep curl visualize every fiber of your bicep just activated and just going in with such intensity there that he I mean he is outworking himself at that point right and and putting going all in all in and obviously you know the results you know spoke you know in the, in the sense of at least at the time of the interview and I think this is still true is the most decorated winter Olympian in U.S. history. The thing is, Greg, honestly, what I the probably the biggest thing I took from Apollo was that these are all things that we can do. 
I mean, I remember asking him about, you know, because to to do that level of training and visualizations, you know, he he had he had to remind himself of why he was doing this. You know, what were what were his high level objectives and his goals each day to get up every morning and put in that effort and really train hard. And, you know, he was very clear on that, which is why clarity has to be number one. Right. And then he was very intentional about what he was doing. And I said, well, well, Paul, like, what are you like? What's what are your systems in place? And he said, yeah, I have this, this reminder system. And okay, well, what is it? And I chalked it up in the book to call it the Olympic level reminder system, which was post-its in his closet and in his washroom and, you know, on his fridge type thing, just with some intentions for the day, his, you know, goals. And he said, you know, sometimes I'd look at them. They, you know, I understood exactly why they were there. Some, some other days they felt a bit off, but they were always there. Right. And they're always reminding him, to not go onto that autopilot, right? And perform and outperform every day and, and, and whatnot. To the point, what's the other example that he had left with? Um, I think most of the teams in the US at the time that he was training his hardest, they had something like four hours of on ice training. And his team only had three. And he said, well, like, why? You know, what's, what's going on? And it's nothing complicated. They didn't have the funding. They didn't have the funding to pay for the ice time. So they had to figure out, okay, well, if we only have three hours versus their four, we need to make our three hours the, the output to equal four or plus. And again, it just kind of came back to, okay, well, we're going to be there for three hours. We are going to be there with full intention and 100% focus on what we're doing. And it, you know, all of this stuff, I, I would say, all added up to, to get to the point where he's won so many medals and, and was able to, to maintain that pace and perform at that pace. To the point when he retired, he said, you know, the thing that he noticed right off the bat that he had that he had lost or that he had to, re, that to pick up again was the mental fitness training. Like that was the thing that he noticed right away. Whoa, wait a second. I need to get back into this. I need to make sure I'm moving well, eating well, sleeping well and taking care of my mind because then everything else just flows a lot more naturally. He felt it right away, right away when he stopped. It's interesting the number of Olympic athletes I've spent time with, worked with, hung out with at their homes, at training camps, and hotel rooms, and all of who have post-it notes all over the place in the fridge, on the bathroom mirror, on you know right? next to their bed. Like the post-it note affirmation, you're enough, yeah, you rock, you're you're awesome. Like just the simplest stuff, but they are always there in the most bizarre spots. So it's yeah. like you turn a corner, you look at the doorknob and it's got a post-it note on it, right? Like just random stuff like that. But that is totally how they cultivate a constant mindset of, of fitness, like how they cultivate that yeah. mental fitness and that, that positivity, that focus, that, that aspirational approach to every single day. Super yeah. interesting. Well, because with, without, I mean, they're no different than us, right? Like without that, they're susceptible to the same pressures that, we all are right the you know comparing yourself to someone else or am i doing enough am i so we all go into these these looping narratives right we're all new york times best-selling authors with those internal stories in our mind right they feel a thousand percent real so again you know to, to stop that autopilot if we can have a post-it in, in, in and it's in a place that we know we will see day in and day out when we need it it just breaks the loop you know well brief it's a reset so that's that's why I like like and for me the reset is often with these questions right because it it forces that pause. And the more you do that, 
the more you then see the next pause or you can say, oh, okay, before you react, you can respond to something. And then that, to me, that's what the mental fitness aspect is because you're training your mind over and over again that you start seeing this stuff. You start taking those breaks. You start being a little bit more intentional and then it just stacks up. That's super cool. All right, final question, then we'll dig into just a couple other sort of wrap up things. I'm sensitive to your time. A buddy of mine, Philip McKernan, uh, who's been on the podcast, just moved his family from Colorado to Ireland, purchased a plot of land on the coast in Ireland with a castle on it, which is apparently oh, wow. where J.R.R. Tolkien went to oh. write most of Lord of the Rings. So he said he's found the forests, he's found the towers, he's found the, <clears throat> like, it's all there in micro forms, right? And so he's uncovering yeah. this history as he brings this area and this castle back to life and this incredible life project that he's working on. I'm fortunate enough to be one of the founders of that castle and that project. So it's super interesting um, to, to be a part of that. But you say that J.R.R., you listed J.R.R. Tolkien's question and the question that we can take away from this, which I think is so cool as we sort of wrap up this conversation. Hopefully we'll have more. Uh, what world do I want to create? Yeah. Isn't that a fascinating question? And that can just be for yourself, for your kids, for your career, for be big, it can be small. It doesn't really matter. But what world are you trying to create is such an awesome question. Well, th thank you. I mean, the so his profiles in the, in the excuse me in the last section of the book which is all around expanding possibility and so first you get clear then you know then you're able to be more intentional and by default once you get to the, the the next phase a lot of that starts to happen because you've gone through those phases and what i love about the questions in that section and especially jr tolkien for his for example it just it opens up our imagination you know, because often these practices, especially journaling, journaling are spoken about in the context of you're super stressed and you're trying to process and release emotion. And I mean, they're, and they're fantastic tools for that. But there's a whole other side to this that is about priming your mind and getting your mind activated in a whole other different way. Right. So for 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 him, I mean, or that profile, it's centered around the idea that there are the worlds that we live in right now, but then there are the worlds we can live in later. And giving that some thought, right? And not not putting any rules or limitations into what that world can be. You know, just free writing and thinking. And what would that look like? Like, how would that make you feel? I mean, just going through that exercise, if even if you are in a in a state where your your mood is off or you're not feeling the greatest, just spending five or ten minutes in an exercise like that automatically flips you out of that. Right. It's 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 nearly impossible to be in a creation state like that and also in a fear state at the same time. So that's what I loved about, you know, pulling from from his story was that, I mean, he he was a professor. And I remember there was a there was a part in his story where he he came up with the idea of the Hobbit while he was grading papers. And then he started writing and writing more and more. And he was just doing it on the side. And then eventually created this this massive empire of, of of books and and but he always taught, you know he kept teaching he kept in, he was inventing languages as well which we see some of those uh, languages in the books but there's just that imagination that you know for everyone listening it doesn't matter what you're doing if you can dedicate some time during your week to just go down that that route 
for, for what I've noticed is it it opens up a different level of thinking that will then start to come a little bit more automatic as you start doing these practices. Again, right now when you're faced with this big business challenge, let's say, well, you know you can tap into this whole other practice or you've been doing it and your mind is tuned to see possibility versus I can't, oh, we can't do this. We don't have enough budget for that. This will never work. You start talking and speaking the language of, well, imagine if this would happen or imagine, I, imagine if we can go here, who would we need to speak with? What would that look like? And then all of a sudden, you know, people start banding together and next thing you know, you're, you're rocking it. Imagine if dot, dot, dot. Powerful too. Where I mean, I use that one a lot and I'll, I give credit due where, where, where it's, where it is due. And that's from Naveen Jain, who has a profile in there as well. And he's, he's one of the most friendly billionaires I've, I've ever met and just has such a mindset of possibility that he's, he's solving billion person challenges through that kind of language. I love it. I even just that little example of like, imagine if my kids actually, you know, like played in the park more or like whatever it happens to be, it totally doesn't yeah. matter. And that just unlocks so much possibility. So the book is personal Socrates. Love it. Questions that will upgrade your life from legends and world-class performers. There's loads of other examples. We did just a few and super psyched that you were able to come hang out with us and share a little bit about this, Mark. Thank you so much. If people want to learn more and get in touch with you, how can they do that? Oh, first of all, thank you, Greg. I mean, this was super fun. It's always good to be uh, on the other end of a mic with a pro. It makes it that much uh, more enjoyable and, and, and leaves me with energy. So thank you for that. Easiest place, behindthehuman.com is my personal website. And you'll see the, the book is there, the podcast, and any type of corporate uh, mental fitness activations are over there as well. And yeah, I mean, I would just say, if you're if you're new to this space, be kind to yourself. Enjoy it. There's so much out there to try. And if you're not, I mean, we're there's always places where we can upgrade easily through questions and uh, feel better, perform better, and just make this 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 game of life so much more enjoyable. Awesome, Mark. Thanks for showing up and hanging out with us and sharing your wisdom. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I hope that you enjoyed that. Mark is absolutely brilliant and uh, just such cool insights. And the idea of asking the right questions is just so powerful. Hopefully you can carry that forwards in your life. If you want to learn more, check them out at behindthehuman.com. If you enjoyed that conversation, please share it, subscribe to the show on iTunes if you or wherever else you get your podcast, Spotify, Audible, whatever happens to work for you. And we really appreciate your support and being part of the community. Hope you have a great week and we'll talk to you again soon.